This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to Chronicles of Nania. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the man that this show is named for. He's a writer over at Gangrene Nation where he does the tweets. Also writes for Elite Sports New York. And of course, the co-host of this podcast at Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, what's going on, man? Uh, not too much. We're just a couple, or actually about a month now from the draft. We got new uniforms in a couple of weeks. And of course, I'm going to be on your podcast or else I'm going to cancel this one if you don't invite me on to the uniform <laughs> discussion. So yeah, we're in a little bit of a quiet period right now after free agency, but things are going to be heating up here in April. So I'm excited uh, for what's in store. No rest for the wicked, though, Michael, because even though it's a bit of a quiet period, you still find ways to bring us interesting, nerdy numbers, and that's what you're known for, and that's what people have come to expect, and so I'm glad to see that on the occasion of Rob Gronkowski's retirement, you were able to dig up an interesting number involving Mr. Gronk and Jamal Adams. Yeah, so, I mean, it it does kind of stink for the Jets that, you know, the Jets finally got that Gronk stopper that they've been looking for for all these years with Jamal Adams, and now Gronk retires uh, after Jamal only gives you a couple of really good games against him. But So in Jamal's rookie year back in 2017, he kind of struggled against Gronk in that first meeting. He gave up two touchdowns back at MetLife Stadium in that Week 6 game uh, in 2017. Uh, of course, that was Austin Safarian Jenkins' game and all that, but Jamal Adams did give up a couple of touchdowns to Gronk in that game, so it wasn't the best start for Adams going up against Gronkowski, but then when the Jets played the Pats in Week 17 that year, Gronk wasn't targeted the entire game, and that that's going to go down as the only game in his career in which he wasn't targeted a single time, and Jamal was a huge part of that. His coverage in that game was really good, and it carried over into this season. On In the first meeting against the Patriots this year, Gronk was targeted against Adams four times. Only one of those passes were completed. It was a seven-yard completion, which was not a first down. So four targets, no first downs for Gronk against Adams. Two of those were pass breakups in the red zone with Jamal one-on-one against Gronk on the outside. So he had a phenomenal performance against Gronk in that game and got a lot of attention for it. I mean, it was super noticeable when you're watching the game how dominant he was. And then Later in the season, when they met up again in Week 17, Jamal only gave up a couple of catches for 24 yards against Gronk. So he had a rough start in that first game as a rookie, but over the past three games since then, Adams was really, really great in coverage against Gronk. Finally gave the Jets that, like I said, the Gronk stopper that they've wanted all these years. And now Gronk is retired, but you know, still there are a lot of other great receiving tight ends in the league. The Patriots are going to find someone else to probably come in and be almost as dominant as Gronk because that's just what they do. And like I said, there are a lot of great tight ends in the league now. It's a really featured position in the passing game. So it'll, it's really valuable to have a guy with Adams. And like he did prove it against the best of all time, Rob Gronkowski, to have a guy like Adams who can go out there and help you uh, shut down the other team's best tight end. To be fair, though, it was toward the end of Gronk's run where he was at half speed. And it was a small sample size. So we can't necessarily say definitively that he was a Gronk stopper, right? Yeah, definitely it is a smaller sample size, but it, it was good to see that, you know, after he struggled in the first game, he came back in the future games and seemed to adjust and did a much better job in three consecutive games after that. And Gronkowski was still pretty dominant against the rest of the league. We saw him in the playoffs, you know, do a lot of great things, but it was still really good to see Adams, you know, do good against Gronk. And it wasn't just against him because especially this year, you know, he had a great season coverage, you know, against everybody throughout pretty much every week of the season. So it, it was really great to see Adams, you know, get the chance to compete against Gronk. And I'm sure, you know, from his point of view, he took a lot out of those matchups, definitely gave himself 
you know, a lot of films to work off of and just adjust his game, especially after his rookie year into 2018. And now going forward off of this Pro Bowl borderline all-pro kind of season. So um, Gronkowski is definitely a great experience for Adams to have. And I think the Jets are going to benefit from him being able to compete against Gronkowski for the rest of his career. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. One number that I thought was very interesting that my friend Kenny, who's at Deep Threat on Twitter, dug up. He's kind of the Michael Nania of Patriots Twitter, digging up all these nerdy Patriots numbers. Brady has a career 120 passer rating when throwing a Gronk, but with the Jets, it drops to 103.8, which is still awesome. And Gronk certainly still had plenty of moments against the Jets. But it does tell you that throughout Gronk's career, the Jets knew they had to game plan for him. They knew they had to try and find a way to stop him. And even though they didn't necessarily stop him because it's almost impossible to stop prime Gronk, they did a better job than most, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, like you pointed out there, that's a 20-point drop in quarterback rating. So you're talking about... That could be the difference between like an Aaron Rodgers and, you know, an Andy Dalton or Blake Bortles. So that's a huge drop in passer rating. And, you know, like you said, it's still really productive to have a 100 passer rating going to Gronk as, you know, usually the number one receiving option for Brady and the Patriots. So, yeah, the Jets definitely, you know, even before Adams, it was always a point to stop him. And, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes Gronk would have, you know, like I said, in the Week 17 game in 2017, Gronk went the whole game without getting targeted. So he had a lot of games like that, but he still had his games, you know, like I said, with the first game against Jamal Adams in his rookie year where he had two touchdowns. So he had a lot of memorable moments against the Jets. He, he did dominate this team, and I'm happy he's gone. But, you know, the Jets did have some games where they did a pretty good job against him. And, you know, most of the time when that did happen, someone else stepped up for the Patriots because that's just what Brady does. That's just what that team is known to do. But... The Jets did have some really solid moments against Gronkowski, and that number that you brought up, just the, the comparison in Brady's passer rating when targeting Gronk against, you know, against the Jets compared to everyone else, it, it is a huge drop-off, so it's definitely noticeable, and the Jets did have you know, some moments where they did a pretty good job of containing Gronk as much as you can. 
And you have to be encouraged by what Jamal Adams did against Gronk, even though I put out the disclaimers that Gronk was toward the end of his career and that it was a small sample size. The fact that we saw Jamal Adams do such a good job on him makes you think that when the Jets play against teams with tough tight ends like David Njoku from the Browns, Zach Ertz from the Eagles, Jordan Reed if he's healthy, with the Washington Redskins, the Jets may have their guy that can neutralize the opposing team's tight end threat. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like I said, like throughout this entire year, Adams had a lot of great performances in coverage against some really good opponents. And it was a, just a mirror image from what happened in his rookie season. You know, he had, he had some really good moments in coverage as a rookie, but overall he still gave up, I believe, five touchdowns over the course of the season. But, you know, like I remember going back and looking through like all the film on that season and he was always so close with a lot of these plays. He would either, you know, be a beat too early or a beat too late at making a play on the ball, especially with Gronk. Uh, in that first Patriots game, but it definitely seemed like that, you know, he had the ability to be great in coverage, but he just needed a little bit more to be a, a beat quicker to the ball. And he definitely made up that gap from year one to year two. And like I said, playing against Gronk, being able to compete against him twice a year, definitely, I'm sure really helped him just be able to refine his game and be able to figure out the little nuances that he needed to improve in coverage. And back to Gronkowski against the Jets. So I brought up the numbers here. His his numbers against the Jets for his career are actually below his career average. He's only averaging, uh, he played the Jets 15 times in his career, averaged only 54 and a half yards per game, which is, looking at the list here, I think the third lowest total against any team that he's played against. Actually, if you take out teams that he only played less than two times, then his 54 yards per game against the Jets is the lowest of any team that he's played three times or more. So the Jets have done a pretty decent job containing Gronkowski, bouncing off of the stat you brought up earlier, but you know, back to Jamal Adams, it's definitely really great to see that. And Gronk helps you, really helps us be able to see this, that he could be a guy who could be a legit tight end stopper for a long time. And, you know, throughout the 2018 season, it wasn't just Gronk. It was all the other people he played against. David Njoku against Cleveland. He had trouble with him last year. He didn't give up anything to him this year, I believe. So definitely throughout the season, you saw a lot of flashes from Adams that he could be a really great uh, really great in coverage against tight ends for a long time. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before, and I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Adams will have plenty of tight ends on the schedule this year that he's going to have to deal with. As I mentioned, one of them will not be Gronk, and so he won't have to worry about chasing him around and trying to force a fumble, which was pretty rare with Gronk because he wasn't a guy that fumbled a lot, and neither did the guys on the Jets last year that are going to be in key positions this season. I'm talking specifically about Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell. Very rare that they put the ball on the ground. Obviously, with Darnold, the sample size is lower than Le'Veon on Bell, but still, that's an encouraging sign going into the 2019 season, especially when you're dealing with two guys that are first going to be getting acclimated to each other, and one of whom who's getting into his second year in the league. You want to make sure that you minimize the turnovers. That's a very important statistic. Yeah, and for, first off, a disclaimer before I get into this stat. So last season, in before the past couple weeks of the season, I brought up a stat that I was like, oh, Sam Darnold hasn't fumbled the ball on a sack all year yet, and if he doesn't fumble again, it'll be the most snaps ever 
for a rookie without fumbling the ball, and it was great. And then the week 17 came up, and Sam Darnold fumbled in the <laughs> the final half of the season, in the third quarter of that Patriots game. Last half of the season, he breaks the streak after I brought up this great stat. So I don't want to jinx it here. I'm just knocking on the wood right here, bringing it up that I might be, you know, jinxing this thing a little bit. So just putting that out there. I'm not trying to jinx anything. So anyway, Sam Darnold did only have that one fumble all of 2018. And it's just, it was just really promising to see because the fumbles were a huge question mark with him, you know, coming out of USC. You know, a lot of people criticized him for not only the interceptions, but of course the fumbles. He did have to put the team on his back a lot. And a lot of the interceptions came, you know, you, he would have those risky plays, but then he'd make up for it with the great play. And even so, his interception totals weren't that terrible. There have been a lot of great quarterbacks in the NFL who threw more interceptions than Donald did in college. So the fumbles were really the big issue. So to see him come in and in his rookie year only fumble the ball once on a sack all season is really promising just to show you his ability to recognize his weaknesses, recognize his flaws, and be able to develop them, work on them, and just remove them from his game and be able to understand what he needs to improve on and go out there and do it. So it was great to see him be able to be so secure at the ball all season. And still, even though he didn't go the whole season without a fumble, that's still really an impressive feat for him to be able to go with only one fumble all season. It's very rarely been done. I believe that is the, I think Big Ben was the last rookie quarterback to go the whole season with only one fumble on a sack way back in his rookie season. So also, you're putting him in the backfield with Le'Veon Bell, and this is something I've talked about before numerous times on this podcast, talking about how great Bell is. His ball security is really great. So he's only fumbled the ball eight times on his over 1,000 career touches, which is only a 0.5% rate, and that's the second lowest among the 20 running backs with at least 1,000 total touches since 2013. So again, not to jinx it, but just pointing out this, the facts here, what's happened to this point in time. Sam Darnold's been great with his ball security in his rookie year. And like, like he did say, it is a small sample size. So maybe it's a, a problem that does persist. And it is hard to expect a guy to only fumble once per season, especially as Darnold, you know, plays 16 games in a season instead of the 13 he played last year, probably will be trusted to drop back and throw the ball more. So it's hard to expect him to only fumble once per season. But if he can continue to keep the numbers really low, that would be great. And he showed great signs of being able to do that in his rookie season. And you put him with Le'Veon Bell, who's really proven to be great ball security throughout his career. And also with Bell, you have to have a disclaimer in there too. Seven of his eight career fumbles were in his final two seasons before a skip 2018 season. He had four in 2016 and three in 2017 before having only one over his first three seasons. So he did show a few signs of taking a couple steps back in that area over his uh, last couple of seasons. But even with those, you still look at his career overall, his ball security has been elite. So with those two guys, definitely you're looking at a really promising chance of having some really good ball security in that backfield, which is something the Jets have not had with this team, you know, over the past decade or so. Ball security is not something that the Jets have been good at. You rarely see this team in the top half of fewest turnovers. But with these two guys, maybe you have a chance to do that. And I'm knocking on wood. You should be too. I don't know if you believe in this stuff, but I don't want to jinx this, but just bringing up the stats, there is a good chance the Jets have a couple of guys 
who are going to take care of the ball really well this year. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I want to touch on Darnold first and the fumbles and the interceptions. The interceptions at USC, a lot of them, as Joe Blewett pointed out in his film review, were Darnold looking into the right place, but just something else going wrong. So his eyes went where they were supposed to be. He made the right read, but maybe he tried to force the ball into a little bit too tight of a window and trusted himself a little too much. Or maybe the receiver didn't make the right play. That's the kind of thing you still want from a young quarterback because you want somebody that believes in himself and is willing to take those risks you don't want him turning into the next Alex Smith the other thing about the fumbles to me was it was all about coaching and instilling that in his head because that was something that would be very easy to clean up from a fundamental standpoint a lot of it just had to do with how he carried the ball this is something that Dan Arlovsky touched on when I interviewed him about Sam Darnold before the draft last year so I'm not super surprised that he cleaned up the fumbles I think that the interceptions are going to go down this coming year And I think that Darnold is definitely on the right path to be something other than the quote-unquote turnover machine that the people that are critics of him and like to rain on Jets fans parade think that he's going to be throughout his career. Yeah, so it was good to see him fix up the fumbles. And like you said, that's the thing that is easier to correct. And just by watching him play this year, you can clearly tell he always had two hands on that ball in the pocket. Even when he would roll out, he definitely was clearly putting an emphasis on protecting that ball. And it showed up with the production over the course of the season, only losing that one fumble against New England. But the interceptions definitely are something that he does still need to continue to improve because even in his rookie year, his, you know, his interception rate was still pretty bad. I believe, I believe he did still end up tied for the league lead in total interceptions, but I, it's definitely something that he does need to improve. And he did get better with it over the last few weeks of the season. I'm pretty sure he only had one pick in that four game stretch after he came back from injury, one or two interceptions over that last four games of the season. But a lot of his picks were in the beginning of the season. He obviously had that game against Miami that really buffed his numbers up, and bad snaps had a lot to do with that one. And he did have a few interceptions this season that weren't his fault. He had the one against the Colts, or was it the Colts? The, no, the first Dolphins game, I believe, uh, where Terrell Pryor ran a bad round in the end zone, and that wasn't his fault. Uh, there was the one that Sharon Peak just dropped right off his chest that ended up being a pick. So there were some interceptions this season. That weren't his fault, but he definitely still had some really risky, you know, some really risky decisions that he probably should have made, like like the one against Buffalo uh, after his return from in- injury where he rolled out, tried to force it to Chris Herndon, but way under through it turned out to be a pick. So, uh, and I do think he'll never be a low interception guy because that's just who he is. Like like you said, he's not Alex Smith. He's not going to be a checkdown guy. He's always going to be looking for that big play, always trying to maximize every single snap. So I always I do think he's never going to be a super low interception guy, like, you know, throwing like five interceptions a season, because that's just not who he is. But he does have to get it down a little bit because you can't have him being, you know, at the top of the leaderboards every single season. So if he can get himself down to like an average-ish, maybe slightly above average or better than average rate of interceptions next season, you know, if he does start all 16 games, maybe only throw 10 to 12 picks instead of the 15 he had this year in only 13 starts. If he can do that, then I think that's where you want 
definitely where you want him to be. So he does have some room to work with that uh, after his rookie season, even after college. Uh, he did have some uh, struggles with his interceptions as a rookie, but you know he does have some time to work it out, and he did show some promising signs with his intercept, bringing the interceptions down at the end of the season. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with being a rookie and getting acclimated, but he was also taking a lot of chances that a lot of rookie quarterbacks don't take and trusting himself more than maybe he should have at the beginning. But as the season wore on and he started to recognize things better, you saw the interception rate drop. And to your point about maybe never being a quote-unquote low interception guy, I'm going to read you some interception totals. 18, 9, 16, 12, 13, 15. Those are the yearly interception numbers of Andrew Luck. So sometimes the best quarterbacks take chances and they end up throwing some interceptions. It happens, but the bottom line is if you're throwing way more touchdowns and interceptions, that is the key to whether or not it's worth it to keep taking chances like that. And with Le'Veon Bell, as far as his fumbles, I know that the fumble rate went up a little bit the last season that he played back in 2017, but he still traditionally is a guy that doesn't put the ball on the ground very much especially for somebody who carries the ball so much yeah and even so like like i mentioned he had four in 2016 or three in 2017 that's still not that bad for a guy who's touching the ball about 25 times a game more than anyone else it's still really not that bad especially in 2017 only three fumbles he touched the ball over 300 times that's not a bad rate at all that's still above average so he definitely did show some signs of a little bit of, of a decline. Obviously, you had seven over two seasons. That's a lot worse than one over three. But, you know, he started off his season so well in that area with only one fumble over his first three seasons that he's due to come down a little bit from that because it's really hard to maintain that. But even so, he still wasn't bad with it. And his last season was actually pretty good to only fumble the ball three times, you know, over the course of the entire season, including the one playoff game against the Jaguars. So it, it definitely, he did, you do want to see him, you know, maybe get a little bit closer to where he was, but still, if he's fumbling the ball three times and he's playing, you know, 16 games, touching the ball 300 times, that's not bad at all. You can accept that because, you know, Adrian Peterson has had seasons where he's fumbled the ball seven, eight times. And, you know, usually the league leaders among running backs are, you know, in that range, the high single digits. So to only fumble the ball three, even four times as a guy who's carrying the ball, touching the ball, as much as Le'Veon Bell does, isn't bad at all. So definitely he is still, even with those struggles over his past two seasons, they're not even struggles. You know, you can't even label them like that because what I said, it's still a pretty average rate to fumble as much as he did in those two seasons. So I think the Jets still should be getting really good ball security with Bell. It's clear, uh, clearly something that he emphasizes. You could see it, you know, and, and that's another thing too, because we talked about his, you know, he doesn't generate that many big plays of 40 plus, 50 plus yard runs because a lot of times you see him just, at the end of a run, just getting two hands on that football, emphasizing that over breaking out the big 90-plus yard play because he doesn't really have that speed, and it seems like he does emphasize that ball security. So he's going to do a good job with ball security based on what he's done over his career to date, even with those last two seasons. So definitely seems like Bell's going to bring in a really good chance of having some great ball security for the Jets and bringing the fumble totals down from where they've been in recent seasons. And, and that's another issue that, that the Jets had last year, too. The, while Sam Darnold was on the field last year, his teammates were primarily uh, primarily responsible for eight turnovers. Those are, you know, your fumbles, your bad snaps. So Sam Darnold didn't get a lot of help from a ball security standpoint last year. So Le'Veon Bell, and like I said, eight turnovers by Sam Darnold's teammates last year while he was on the field. Bell only has eight fumbles in his entire career. And those are total fumbles, not just the fumbles that he's lost. Obviously, he's lost fewer fumbles then he's actually fumbled the ball. So to have Le'Veon Bell, it's going to be a huge help to have his ball security in there next to Sam Darnold. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You would think that the ball security for both Darnold and Bell would improve if the blocking that this team does up front improves because last year there was a little bit of trouble and one guy who may have a lot to say about that is Eric Tomlinson now we don't know exactly if he's going to stick yet if he's going to be in the same role that he was last year he was a good blocker in 2017 last year he took a step back I would argue part of that is because they trusted him to do too much because they had no faith in the offensive line There are only a handful of tight ends that are going to even be able to come close to winning a one-on-one matchup with Robert Quinn. So when you ask a tight end to do that, it's obviously going to reflect negatively on him. But overall, he had a poor season blocking, certainly very disappointing compared to what people expected of him. However, one thing that you did find, Michael, is that on kickoffs, he did a lot better than people realize. Yeah, so like you said, definitely in the blocking area. And and we know he doesn't bring anything as a receiver. He's got to be you know, one of the least talented receiving tight ends in the league. But even from a blocking standpoint, he was kind of disappointing last year. His run blocking wasn't that impressive. Like you said, had a lot of tough assignments, but still didn't do all too well with them. His pass protection was, I think Chris Herndon outshined him in pass protection. But one area where he did show up, and this is an area because, you know, the Jets did let Jason Myers go. They let Andre Roberts go. So it did seem like that they weren't emphasizing special teams that much. But then they went out and they got Josh Bellamy. They got that tight end from the Bears, Daniel Jones. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but they also brought back Tomlinson, and I do think that he does have a big uh, impact on the special team. So I did go back and look at all their big kick returns last season, so 30-plus yard kick returns and 15-plus yard punt returns, and Eric Tomlinson had a a key assist, a key blocking assist to spring the return on eight of those, and that was the most on the team. So definitely you look back at those returns, and Tomlinson was doing a pretty good job with his blocking on those returns, usually was put in a really key role in terms of leading the return, and he usually did a pretty good job with it, and he was a very integral part of a lot of the big returns that Andre Roberts had for the Jets last year. So I do think that even if he isn't the best, you know, even a blocking tight end on offense, he does have special teams value. So uh, to me, that's a silver lining for bringing Tomlinson back. I think you can do better in the blocking tight end role on offense, but even if he isn't, you know, the worst in the league, you still can do a lot better than him in that blocking tight end role. But I do think that he can have a key impact on special teams. So it's good to see the Jets that, you know, after they had such a great special teams last year, even though they are letting Jason Myers and Andre Roberts go, the two pro bowlers, that they are putting still putting an emphasis on the rest of the unit behind those guys uh, to, to make sure to just continue to emphasize that unit, which was really good last year. So it's good to see them be able to, you know, show that they still uh, are emphasizing it at least to some extent, with guys like Tomlinson and Bellamy. So with Tomlinson, I do think that he can have a good impact on special teams, even if he doesn't you know, show up that well on offense. It's interesting when you bring this up, Michael, because it occurs to me that this hasn't been mentioned by anybody in the mainstream Jets press, but is it possible that you are not the only one that noticed this, that Brant Boyer noticed it, and he is the reason that Eric Tomlinson is back, even though a lot of people were wringing their hands about how could you bring back this tight end who had a rough year blocking last year and doesn't bring anything to the passing game. Maybe it was Brant Boyer who said, I need this guy on special teams. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. And I'm sure like, you know, with Jason Myers and Andre Roberts, you know, from a salary cap standpoint, from a compensatory pick standpoint, you know, the front office could say, could just look at the situation and see that it could make more sense to just let those guys go after an outlier of a season and just, you know, be able to find a replacement who's had a similar career like Chandler Catanzaro, like whoever they get to replace Andre Roberts and go from there. But 
to your point with Brant Boyer, like stuff like this is, uh, you know, these are things that the coaching staff of an NFL team are looking at really closely and definitely have a lot more knowledge of than any of the fans on the outside because there are no numbers to track this really other than what I just brought up to you, which, you know, no one else has actually looked at or brought up. There really isn't anything to track, you know, production of special teams players other than other than like gunners who, you know, rack up tackles. Uh, tackles on kickoffs and punts from a blocking standpoint in terms of the special teams game this is something that you know not a lot of people look at so I do think there's a really good chance that Brant Boyer you know took a look at you know has a knowledge that Eric Thompson was a really key part of making this happen last season and you know maybe from his point of view Andre Roberts wasn't the reason that the return game was successful last year maybe Brant Boyer and the whole staff and the front office looked at it and just you know, had the opinion that, you know, it wasn't really him. It was more just a good blocking performance, good scheming, and guys like Tomlinson were a part of that. And it also, it wasn't just Tomlinson. Chris Herndon had a huge part in it. Jordan Leggett was a big part of it as well. Frankie Luvu had a lot of good blocks on the returns. Brandon Copeland as well, who they just re-signed. He was pretty key on a few big punt returns. So guys like this, it's not something that gets looked at a lot, but it's definitely something that on the inside that uh, the teams themselves definitely have a lot of knowledge of. So I, I do think that there's a really good chance that, you know, like you said, Grant Boyer is just emphasizing bringing back these guys, the, the unheralded guys on special teams over the returner. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out next season, you know, how Andre Roberts does in Buffalo and how the Jets return game does without Andre Roberts. Because both, both sides of this coin weren't that great before they met up last season. Andre Roberts only had a, a career punt return average of eight yards of return before coming to the Jets, and that's pretty much the same as what Jameson Crowder has right now. And among the qualified punt returners, you know, since Roberts entered the league, that was about, that was in the lower half of punt returners in terms of punt return average. So Roberts wasn't that great of a returner before coming to the Jets, and the Jets special teams were pretty horrible the first couple seasons Grant Player was here, but they came together, they both had a great season last year, so it'll be interesting to see Who's right here? Is Andre Roberts going to go to Buffalo and be great there? Or, and the Jets are going to struggle without him? Or are the Jets going to prove that, you know, Eric Tomlinson and these tight ends and just Brant Boyer's scheming were the reason they were so successful last year? So, like you said, I do think that Eric Tomlinson, you know, Brant Boyer could have been a huge reason that he's coming back just because of his impact in the return game. Michael, for as important as special teams is, the straw that still stirs the drink around here in Jets land is Sam Darnold. And you dug up another fascinating nugget about his rookie season. And it specifically involves his ability to go beyond 20 yards, which, believe it or not, is a lot more rare than people think. In fact, Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon figured out that under 10% of passing plays go that distance. So tell me a little bit about what you found here with Darnold and why you're very encouraged about it heading into his sophomore season. Yeah, so in 2018, Darnold had nine touchdown passes of 20 yards or more. And it, it's not specifically 20 yards through the air, but just touchdowns that, were, that came from a distance of 20 yards out or more. So he had nine touchdown passes of 20 plus yards last year and that was near the top of the league overall but when you put it in, in perspective against rookies over the course of history it's actually really really impressive so he had those nine 20 plus yard touchdown passes in 13 games so that's an average of point about 0.7 per game and as far back as data is available uh, way back to 1994 that is the most 20 plus yard touchdowns per game averaged by a rookie with at least 10 games played so it's really, it was really great to see Darnold show that big play ability last year. And, you know, the Jets have big play guys. They have Robbie Anderson, who we already knew can make those big plays before Sam Darnold came in. Now we're adding Jameson Crowder and Le'Veon Bell. Quincy Noonlock, too, back in 2016, had 
a lot of big playability that he showed off. Didn't really work in his first season, but that talent is still there because we've seen it before, and we know he's capable of it. So the Jets do, they've added some big play talent. Chris Herndon, too, had a couple of those 20-plus yard touchdowns. So it was really great to see Sam Darnold, you know, put up 20-plus yard passing touchdowns at a pretty historic rate. Like I mentioned, the most 20-plus yard passing touchdowns per game by a rookie since 1994. So really great to see Sam Darnold show the big playability he was drafted to have. A lot of people don't realize that Darnold can do that and go down the field. There was criticism about his arm strength, but if you watch the film, you saw plenty of arm strength. And even though not all of those touchdowns traveled 20-plus yards in the air, it still showed, like you said, that Darnold had the ability in multiple ways to get home run plays done. Yeah, and you don't always have to discredit you know, yards through the air because you, know, you could throw a pass one yard behind the line and, you know, the receiver will take it 30 yards for the touchdown. But it, it, you, if you just look at the numbers, then, like, you could discredit it. Like, okay, like, Darnold only threw the ball one yard, and Quincy Nunez took it 30 yards to the house. It, if you look at it that way, then it could discredit Darnold. But you just have to look at it in perspective of each play. Like, for example, like that touchdown against the Bills with Robbie Anderson, uh, when Darnold scrambled out and threw that touchdown, it was only, like, a seven-yard touchdown. But just when you put it into perspective, and it really is what makes this this stat so special for Darnold is that, you know, even if they weren't all 20 yards in the air, just he did a really good job distributing to a lot. And that's another thing. There's a lot of different guys doing this. It wasn't just Robbie Anderson. It was it was a lot of different players making these plays. So Darnold spread the ball around really well. And, and like you said, Shodi can make big plays in a lot of different ways, whether it was, you know, throwing the nine route down the sideline, scrambling and making a play in the red zone, or however it might have been, or just making the smart dump off pass, which is something he struggled with early in the season, but got better with as the season went on, just making the smart play instead of the tough play. Like you said, he just showed he can make plays in a lot, make big plays in a lot of different ways. And he did it with a lot of different players too. He never really had that one consistent target throughout the course of the season until Robbie Anderson really, you know, came on towards the end of the year. So it was great to see Sam Donald show a lot of versatility in the ways he can make splash plays and big plays. And at the end of the day, he did produce those 20 plus yard touchdowns better than any other rookie has as far back as we have this information. So it's really great to see that big playability from Darnold in a lot of different ways with a lot of different players. Short throws, long throws, throws on the run, throws from the pocket, throws down the field, anticipation throws, reads. You saw it all from Sam Darnold. You saw the flashes. Now the question becomes whether or not he can put it together and have a full season that mirrors what he did those last few weeks of 2018. I am incredibly excited to watch him play a full season here for the Jets in 2019 and see what he learned and what he can build on from 2018. It is going to be a very fun season for the New York Jets, or at least it would appear to be that way on paper, considering that Darnold now has some new friends in Jamison Crowder and Le'Veon Bell. Michael, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Always love doing Chronicles of Nania with you. Before you run off, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody the 3,000 different places where they can find you and keep track of your nerdy numbers. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. That's N-A-N-I-A. If you didn't actually read the title before you clicked on this podcast, and you can find my writing at gangrenation.com and Elite Sports New York. So, like you, Scott, I'm also very excited for the season and this upcoming month of April. A lot of eventful things happening for the Jets this month. And this is this is a really pivotal time for this team. This could be our Eagles season, our Rams, Bears season, you know, where we take that leap with the quarterback. So I'm really excited, and I can't wait for the season to finally start. 
this time of year has been the most important and the most exciting time of year for Jets fans over the last couple of years. I'm hoping that with the additions they made in free agency and hopefully extra additions in the draft, that this will no longer be the most exciting time of year and that soon it will be December, January, and knock on wood, maybe even February that will be the most exciting time of year for Jets fans. Keep your fingers crossed and we will see what happens in 2019 and beyond. In the meantime, make sure you're checking out Michael's work at all the places he mentioned, including Gangrene Nation and Elite Sports New York. And you can always find him on this podcast every week, The Chronicles of Nania. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.